That's such a, a sweet opening video and a sweet family. So I want to come in this morning and actually kind of come down the slide, make an entrance. But I was warned right before I came in that it's not actually like really attached to anything. And um, it just would have fallen right down. And so that's, you know, one way of making an entrance. But I don't know if it's the way that I wanted to make it this morning. So... I'll just uh, conventionally come and stand in front of you. So let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, thank you uh, for this time that we can be here in your presence to worship you. Thank you that we have just been invited into that presence uh, for the reminder that Seth gave us that it's finished and there's a period at the end of that sentence that there's no more that we need to do. Um, there's nothing that we can do that can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. And we just embrace that this morning. Help us to learn how to live in the freedom of that grace. And would you please just teach us from your word as we open it up today and we study it and learn more about how we can make our home in you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you had to choose just one home or one, one room in your home that, uh, that you said, you know, this is the place where the most memories are made, uh, which, which room would you choose? I think for many of us, that room would be the family room. It's the room where uh, the most life happens. It's, it's the room where there are the deepest conversations. It's the room where you feel the most comfortable, you know, just being yourself. The family room is often the place where memories are made, where time is, is shared. It's, it's the place where you laugh the most. It's the place where you know, maybe you find yourself crying at times. It's the place where you go to relax. It's the place where you feel uh, just most comfortable sitting in the silence of those that you love. Sometimes the family room is also the messiest room in the house, especially when you have kids, <laughs> because it's the room where the most life happens. And when I think about the family room and the homes that we've lived in through the years, I think about all the, the good things that have happened in them. I think about uh, the, the plans that we have made. Um, I think about the arguments that we've had and looking back on that really were over things that were petty and didn't matter in the grand scheme of life. The family room is where I've grown to love my wife more deeply than what I ever thought I could. It's the place where we have watched our, our girls grow up just right before our eyes. The family room is where we taught them important things about God's love for them, about uh, you know, how to walk. We, we taught them how to, how to play go fish in the family room. The family room is where we're loved it's a room where maybe we find ourselves being the most vulnerable. It's the room where we forgive and we ask for forgiveness. It's the room where we are accepted and we accept others despite their faults, despite their flaws, because they've accepted us despite, despite ours. A friend of mine once said it, I think, really, really well. He said, the family room is where the hard work of heart work happens. It's where the hard work of heart work happens. The truth is, sometimes that is hard and it's messy, but it's the room where we gather with people that we know love us and that we, that we love. We're in week three of our series called Home for the Holidays, and, and through this series, we're taking a look at different rooms in our house to see what they can teach us uh, about the, the birth of Jesus and about what that means in our life today. If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter four. 
Hebrews chapter 4, we'll hang on to it there. We'll also have the words up on the screen. You know, when God was setting up um, kind of his home, the, the, the tabernacle as, as they were wandering, and then later on the temple when they were established country, he instructed the Israelites to build a section of the temple um, called the Holy of Holies. It was kind of like, you know, the family room of the temple. It was the place where heaven and earth came together and where the presence of God dwelled. But, but not just anyone could enter into the family room. There was restrictions that were placed upon it. Only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies and only that once a year to make you know, offerings on behalf of the people. But one of the things that happened at the crucifixion is, is that this veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the most holy place and then, you know, we're from everywhere else where, where people could go. One of the things that happened is this veil, this, this curtain that was 60 feet tall and 30 feet wide was ripped from top to bottom as if God himself were saying, there's now no longer any separation between me and my people, me and my children. That through the atoning work of Jesus, when, when all things were set right between us and God, God says all are welcome to dwell with me. And so in a way, through Jesus, God has invited us into his family room. And it's in his family room where life and love are shared. I think that we get a, a better understanding of this in our text today and what this really means for us. Look at it with me. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. The author writes, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now I'll tell you to me, there are few words in scripture more comforting and more profound than Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It, it's, it's, a, it's a verse that I find myself going over to and just and, and, and meditating on over and, and over. I mean, just think about the hope and the confidence that we have in these words. The author is saying that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because God himself has invited us in. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence because God has invited us in. Man, may we never lose the magnitude of that. We have been invited into the very presence of God. We have been invited into his family room. Invited into a relationship with him where we can laugh and we can cry, where we can find comfort and peace in his love. We've been invited into a place where we can be vulnerable with him, where we can be our truest selves, where, where we are more loved than what we ever thought possible. A place where we are accepted despite our imperfections and, and we are loved for who we are, but we are loved too much just to be left like that. And God himself does the hard work of heart work within us to shape and mold us more into the image of Jesus, our Savior. 
And sometimes it is messy and sometimes it is hard, but God has invited us in. And because of that, we can approach him with confidence, confidence that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, we can find grace and mercy in him. And it's not confidence in ourselves. (laughs) If it were confidence in ourselves, then no one would be able to approach God. It's confidence in his invitation to us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Over the next couple of weeks, there's going to be Christmas parties happening all uh, across our community and our neighborhoods, maybe even your own home. You're going to be hosting uh, you know, friends or family or co-workers for these Christmas parties. And I want you to just imagine with me that you know, tonight uh, you, you are leaving the mall after doing a little bit of Christmas shopping. And, and on your way home, you pass by a house in a neighborhood. You don't know who lives there. You just know that it looks like there's a pretty awesome party that's happening. There, there are cars parked all along the side of the road. The driveway is full. People are carrying all kinds of presents into the home as they go. And, and like you can just see all the lights are on. Music is playing. You can smell the food from your car as you pass by. And you think to yourself, you know what? I know I wasn't invited to the party, but I think I'm just going to pull right on over here and see if I can work my way into it. And as an uninvited guest to the party, you can, you can enter into that home in one of two ways. You can enter in with this unearned arrogance and just kind of act like you belong there. You can pretend to be someone that you're not. And so someone looks at you and you're like, and they're like who, who are you? You're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a long lost cousin. You may not remember me. I'm from the other side of the family. Or just pretend that uh, it's been a while since I'd seen you and you'd grown up quite a bit since then. But it's not going to be long until someone probably looks at you and says, now, who are you again? And your story starts to fall apart. Or the family who, you know, actually owns the home and invited the guests is like, you're not welcomed here. You weren't invited. Get out of my home. That's one way. Another way is to walk in kind of sheepishly, you know, to lay low to hide in the corners, try to not get caught. You spend the entire evening just kind of hiding, hoping that you're not found out for being a part of a party that you weren't invited to. But think about that same situation. If you pulled up next to that house and you had an invitation in your hand, you were an invited guest to the party, then you would just walk right into the family room with the confidence of knowing that you've been invited to the party. You don't have to pretend to be someone that you're not. You don't have to hide hoping not to get caught. You've been invited and so you can just go and you can be yourself and enjoy the party. I think that's what Hebrews 4 in a way is is telling us. That we can walk right into God's family room, right into his presence and a relationship with him because we have been invited through Jesus He has invited us to share life and to share love with him. We see the invitation to share life through the description of Jesus as as our great high priest. Jesus came to earth and from the time that he was a baby until he ascended into heaven after the resurrection, he went through the full range of suffering and, and temptations that we go through. Because of that, he knows what it's like to be homeless 
to be hungry, to be a foreigner, to be rejected. He's familiar with disease and death and physical pain. He knows the hurt of false accusation and prejudice and injustice. He knows what it's like to be forsaken by loved ones. He has first-hand understanding of what it's like to live in this broken world in which we live. Verse 15 of our, of our passage, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. And that, that word weaknesses is actually best understood as the human condition. It's a word that have a hard time translating and, and so... But what it really gets to is it's the human condition. Our high priest knows what it's like to be a human living in a fallen world. And because he knows our struggles, he's able to empathize with us. It's one of the reasons why I think that the Christmas story is a reminder that God is not afraid of our mess. God's not afraid of our mess. He's not afraid of it because he entered into it willingly. He knows our hurts and our pains. He shared this life with us. So now we can bring our mess to him, our lives into God's family room where we can find grace and we can find forgiveness. There's nothing that we can bring to God that Jesus himself had not already experienced. With, with the one major qualifier being that Jesus experienced it and yet he did not sin. He experienced it and yet he did not sin. And because of that, because Jesus was our perfect sacrifice for sin. And in fact, Hebrews um, earlier says that, that he was made perfect by what he suffered. And so not only was Jesus perfect because he lived a sinless life, but he was perfect as our sacrifice because he experienced our pain. He experienced our suffering. And because he was our perfect sacrifice for sin, not only do we get to share our life with him, but God has shared his love with us. He shared his love with us, despite our brokenness and our imperfections, despite the mess that our life can sometimes be. Again, Hebrews 4, 16 tells us that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can enter into God's family room with confidence, knowing that we will receive mercy and find grace. Two beautiful characteristics of God's love for us through Jesus. We can approach God with confidence, knowing that our struggles, they're not treated with, with harshness, with condemnation, with impatience. You know, Jesus is not sitting at the right hand of God going, you know, I made it through this world, you know, perfect. What's your excuse? What's your problem? No, he, he embraces us. He empathizes with us. And so we can enter and find grace and sympathy and love. And isn't that like what we all desire? Man, I don't know what brought you here this morning. I don't know if what brought you here is like, this is just what you've been doing your entire life. You get up on Sunday mornings, you go to church, you go about your day. But I imagine that there is someone, that there are some here today. And even if that has been your rhythm, maybe today feels a little bit different. And you, you are here today just wondering, does God love me? Does, 
Does, is he willing to just take the, the mess of my life, this brokenness, all these, these things that when I look back on, I wish I would have done differently, those things that, that replay in my mind over and over and over as I'm trying to, trying to go to bed at night. Can God love me in spite of these things? So I don't know what brought you here, but I hope that all of us have this, this deep desire in our souls that, that we are loved by God. And I think that all of us, we all desire to be in a place where we are fully known and fully loved. And I think that, that you really need both. You can be loved without being fully known, but you'll walk around the room pretending to be someone that you're not. Or you'll walk around life hiding, hoping not to get found out for who you truly are carrying the weight of guilt and shame. Conversely, we can be fully known without being fully loved and we'll, we'll always try to, try to do something to, to earn people's love or we'll, we'll wonder if we measure up, if we're good enough. Without love, again, we'll carry around a different kind of guilt and shame. But in God's family room, I'm telling you, you are both fully known and fully loved. You are both fully known and fully loved. And God graciously shares his love for you. As Paul tells us in, in Romans 8, 1, if, if you're wanting to commit a verse to memory, man, make this, a, hide it in your heart. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, the price has already been paid for your sin. You are no longer condemned for it. There's a period at the end of that sentence, as Seth reminded us earlier. And because of that, you can now live in the freedom of God's grace and his love for you. You can rest in the presence of God. You can enjoy his presence and find refuge in him from the chaos of life. You can be honest with him, but not only can you be honest with God, but you can be honest with others because, because you're living in the freedom of that grace where you don't have to try to earn someone's love. You have this confidence that you've been invited into God's family room. God's love for you is not based on your performance, but on the saving work of Jesus. That's the kind of freedom that God wants for all of us to experience with him. But for many of us, that's not the kind of relationship that we do experience with him. Because we continue to carry around the weight of our sin and our shame. We continue to feel like we have to pretend to be someone that we're not, or we have to hide hoping not to get caught. In her book, Teaching a Stone to Talk, Annie Dillard captures what I think you know, is, is an experience that many of us have in our relationship with the Lord. She tells a story about growing up being absolutely terrified of Santa Claus. And you know, she makes a good point if you think about it. Like we sing songs about he knows when you are sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. 
And she said that uh, the thought of someone knowing when she is sleeping, knowing when she's awake, knowing if she's been bad or good, it was just too much for her to wrap her little young mind around and it scared her to death. Well, one year on Christmas Eve, it was late into the evening, her and her family were sitting around the fire, keeping warm. And all of a sudden, the front door swung open and Santa Claus came bursting into the living room and her family said, Annie, look who's here, it's Santa. And Annie busted out in tears, ran upstairs and hid in her room because she felt like she had been bad that year. And so she went and she hid, refusing to come out. And she later found out that Santa Claus... Um, on that day, Santa Claus was really just a neighbor named Miss White who dressed up to surprise her. And Annie loved Miss White. She was kind of a mentor to her. She would go over to her home and bake cookies with her. Uh, they would do finger painting. They would garden together. And one, one day, just about six months after the Santa incident, um, Annie was with Miss White and she was teaching her the power of, of a magnifying glass and, and to, to show her how it can, it can take the, the, the heat of the sun and really put it down into a pinpoint uh, place of, of specific heat. She, she had Annie take her hand out and she put the magnifying glass over it just so she could feel a little bit of it, but, but she left it on just a little bit too long and she ended up burning a place in, in her palm. And Annie ran home crying, running up the same stairs into her bedroom and refusing to come out. And years later, while reflecting on how these experiences paralleled her relationship with God, Annie Dillard wrote these words. She says, even now I wonder if I meet God, will he take and hold my bare hand in his and focus his eye on my palm and kindle that spot and let me burn. But no, it is I who misunderstood everything and let everybody down. Miss White, God, I am sorry I ran from you. I am still running, running from that knowledge, that I, that love from which there is no refuge. For you meant only love and I felt only fear and pain. And so once in Israel, love came to us incarnate, stood in the doorway between two worlds and we were all afraid. See, through Jesus, God has invited us into the family room where life and love are shared. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend. We have been invited to this party because a baby was born proving that God is not afraid of our mess. He's not ashamed of your weakness, of your struggle, of your sin. Jesus' life and experiences on earth have made him empathetic towards our human condition and our struggles. His death has opened the door and invited us into God's family. And through his resurrection, he has allowed us to find new life and a fresh start because we have received God's mercy and we have found his grace. If you're here today and you have been wandering you have been unsure 
you've lacked confidence that God loves you, I want you to know today that he does. He's invited you in and you can walk right into his family room, not because of confidence in yourself, but because of confidence in what Jesus did for you. And if you're here and you've never made that first step, I'm telling you that invitation is open to you as well. And when you take Jesus into your life and you make him your Lord and your Savior, when you experience that new life and fresh start by identifying with him through baptism, and God opens the door wide for you and he says, come in. Come into my family room and dwell with me. Would you stand with me as I close this off in a word of prayer? Father, thank you so much for that grace and mercy that we can find as we come into your presence. Thank you for inviting us in through Jesus, making a way through him for us to be in relationship with you. Lord, I pray that we will live in the joy of the freedom of that. And as we just remember this Christmas, where it all started with the birth of your son, may there just be an extra sense of gratitude in our hearts for what you have done for us in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.